Father, we do thank you uh, for this day. We thank you uh, for our, our body. Lord, we thank you that we can gather here and worship you through uh, fellowship with one another, through uh, singing, through our, our giving to you, um, through our, the studying of your word. And as we uh, turn our attention to the, the scriptures, Lord, we ask that your spirit would illuminate the meaning of the text. May we have insight uh, to the story, what happened, uh, the significance of it all, uh, ultimately so that we would have a clearer picture of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what he desires from us in our lives. And so, Father, we turn this attention to you. We ask that you would uh, give us humility of heart. May you uh, lead us, Lord, uh, convict us, uh, help us to see uh, areas in our life that we need to surrender to you, um, and that ultimately, Lord, we would walk away from here closer to you, uh, feeling encouraged and transformed through your word. Uh, we love you, Father, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Uh, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. When they'd crossed over, they came to to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about that whole, they ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Whenever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many touched it, were being cured. And so, Father, we do thank you for this word. We ask that you would guide us now as we work through this passage. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so the, the parallel accounts are up here. And I'd encourage you actually to go find and bookmark uh, Matthew chapter 14 and John chapter 6. I'll, I'll kind of be bouncing back and forth uh, through today to, to look at the story. Um, this is really part two from last week. We, um, we were at the, the one miracle. There's two miracles that are recorded in all four Gospels. There's only two. There's the feeding of the 5,000, which we looked at last week, and then there's the resurrection of Jesus. Those are the only two that all four accounts um, reference. And so this is really a, a part two, continuation sort of it fits into the story of the feeding of the 5,000, which sort of bleeds over to the next day, uh, and John's account in particular. And so 
so, so that's, that's our, our setting. If we read from Mark, verse 44, which, which says, um, there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. So we're told that they were fed, there were leftovers, they were all content. And then in verse 45, he immediately says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending away the crowd. And so it looks like it just transitions really smoothly and efficiently. I think this is uh, Mark's sense of speed and moving at a quick clip. But when we look at all of the accounts, there's, there's really more to the story. Um, if you bookmark John chapter 6, you can go there or you can just listen. John gives sort of this, this, this greater explanation of, of the story. And so after the, the 5,000 are fed, um, we read this in John 6, verses 14 through 15. We read there, Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, that's the feeding of the 5,000, they said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew to the mountain by himself alone. And so the, the picture is... Um, they received the blessing of the feeding. The disciples were there, the ones who saw the multiplication. They saw that basically this little kid, you know, when Jesus says, we need to feed these people, and they're like, are you crazy? There's, it says 5,000 men, but that equally equates to 25,000 people. And they say, how, how in the world is this possible, Jesus? Uh, John tells us that Jesus said this to test the guys. And, and so he says, go figure out what you can, you know, scrape together from all the people to see what you can acquire and they essentially, modern-day translation, they say, we found the, this little boy had a little Lunchables meal, you know, like the little box you can peel open. There's five crackers and two little sardines. Like, this isn't like they came up with, a, uh, you know, oh, two whales, and they could feed the whole crowd. This is like, kids' Lunchables. Like, this is what we got, Jesus. He's like, oh, that's good. Go set everybody down in groups of 50 and 100. And, and the text says that Jesus, as the disciples came, he was... Uh, taking this and multiplying it before their eyes, and they were delivering it. And so they, they really, they, they saw the miracle. The, the people, I'm not convinced that the people saw or understood the miracle. They, they just think that, I think that, that Jesus had some amazing caterer that was like ready to go. And they knew that they got to Jesus, and he fed them. And, and so they were under the suppression of Rome, and they were under the, um, the suppression of Herod's sons, who were evil men, they were ready to, to fling them off of them. And the Messiah had come, so they were ready. It's, it's almost kind of funny that they, uh, Jesus sensed that they were going to take him by force and make him their king, and sort of that they would have their socialist government set up where they would be provided for and cared for, and they wouldn't have to worry about anything, and Rome would be gone. It would be perfect. And so Jesus said, this isn't how it's, this isn't, there, this is not the plan. And so he quickly sends the apostles away on the boat. I think he was trying to, it almost seems like there's a little bit of a diversion. It's like the sun is setting. Okay, you guys go run and get in the boat. Everybody's going to think I'm with you guys and I'm going to like, you know, go up and up into the mountains and, and pray and get away and, and a distraction. So that's, that's where we pick up our story. And so in verse 45, we read, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him 
to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away and bidding them farewell, he left for the mountaintop to pray. So uh, uh, here's a quick movement. The disciples go to Bethsaida and this is where we have the map. I, I began to share last week and I don't have any more clarity for you all just because we don't, we don't, we just, it's hard for us to piece together. And let's see if the little pointer thing is still here. Yep, perfect. And some trash. It's like every junk drawer. Um, so, and it's dead. Um, so we have the bubble on the left. That's Capernaum. They were sent out two by two. And we believe that after they went out and they did their little short-term mission that they were to return to Capernaum, the sort of the headquarters, they met there. Oh, is there a pointer on this thing? Orange button. Orange button. Laser. Nice. Okay. Boom. Thank you. Um, so there's Capernaum. They all, they all met here. And then the, the text says, okay, they began to, to head over to Bethsaida. So most in the past, they kind of held that Bethsaida over here. This is where a couple of the disciples are from. They, uh, they, they, they believe that that's where the, the miracle of the fighting, feeding of the 5,000 happened. However, up north here, a little bit, I mean, walking distance, it's Bethsaida of Julius. And then, so if the feeding happened there, but then the feeding said that he sent him over to Bethsaida. And so they reconcile this. Um, what, we, what we think the Greek text kind of allows for, that they headed toward these towns. And so it's not really important, but I just tend to get wrapped up in some of these details geographically sometimes. And so it's kind of believed that they were over here somewhere, maybe, and just as the region. And so they're going back and forth across this little, this little sort of bay. It's possible that Jesus went up into the hills over here to pray. Um, as the story develops, wherever they were heading back and forth over here, they end up over along this region. We don't have a specific town, but so our, our story begins over here. This is important. And then ends up over the, at the land of Gennesaret. And so for those of you that have been there when we stay at the Sea of Galilee, this is where the hotel is over here, just to sort of orientate yourselves. And that, that, that's, that's the flow geographically of, of where things happen. And so verse 47, when it was evening, so it's after dinner time. The story begins sunset, little after sunset, depending on where the sun is at the time of year. And um, they begin to go out for a short distance. And by the end of the story, by the time Jesus intervenes, we see that it's at the fourth watch of the night, which is between three and six in the morning. And so this is a good, depending on where you start the day, it's you know, this anywhere from eight to 12 hours of them being out on the lake, fighting against the elements, trying to get to where they're going. And so verse 47, when it was evening, the boat was out in the middle of the sea. In John six nineteen, he tells us that they were three to four miles out, which is effectively out in the middle of the lake. Um, in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land, seeing them straining on the oars, for the wind was against them about the fourth watch of the night. And so I've sort of set the setting. It's evening. It's dark. This is nighttime. Um, the elements, the, the Sea of Galilee has very unique uh, geographical things that, that create for wild storms. It's the, it's, geographically, it's the lowest um, freshwater lake in the world. 
Um, you have the, the desert air to the east that gets really hot, and then you have the Mediterranean Sea, which as the, the weather pressures shift with the valleys there, these storms kick up all the time. It's, it's not unusual um, for this to happen. Uh, Jesus is alone away from them, a, a, a good distance away. I mean, if they're three to four miles off the coast, he's beyond that. But so don't think this is like line of sight. This here's Jesus alone, he's praying, and then it seems supernaturally he's able to see the image of what they're going through. Um, it's pitch black, it's the middle of the night, and so he, he sees them straining. And we're told that he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. So here's, there's, a, there's a, clearly a miracle here. Um, people have, skeptics have tried to make all sorts of different ways to make this not a miracle um, from like there just happened to be like a, a perfect sandbar three to four miles out to sea. And that would be kind of even more of a miracle in my mind. Um, to, I, I forget all of the different, there's just a lot of different ways. Like, oh, this was just not, this is not true. Um, because naturally, who here has walked on water? Not me. I've tried a bunch. It's never happened. Uh, water skiing is probably the closest I've come, but this was not water skiing. And, and so... This is a miraculous event of Jesus walking out to them. Um, this is the second incident, ironically in the story, that going out there, there's a wind incident, and now um, there's, a, there's a, another incident on the lake, but Jesus now is not with them. Remember the, the previous one, they're freeing, they're, they're, they're freeing, they're fearful of their lives, and Jesus is sound asleep on the on the back of the boat, they think they're going to die. They finally wake him up and ask Jesus the most horrible question. Don't you even care about us? That's not a question to ask Jesus because of course he cares about you. But now they're alone. And the, the context of this, Jesus is, I believe he's about a year, not I believe, we know that he's about a year out from his crucifixion. Um, this is at the peak of his, of his ministry. It's at the two-year mark of his public ministry. Um, Starting when he sent them out two by two, he's kind of stepping up his game of how he's teaching them and giving them lessons as apostles, as the founders of the church, that they, they now have to uh, begin to learn and to function differently. I, I kind of think of a, you know, a kid that goes from their, uh, you know, they get their driving permit until they're driving with mom and dad. And then there's, you know, I shared about that little girl, the girl that I don't know if she's a little girl, but she was. She, she was clearly working on her driver's license, like parking in every single parking spot, dad in the lawn chair out here. I didn't see dad. I'm trying to figure out what in the world is this person doing? Like we got a crazy person out there just parking every which way. And then when I see dad in the lawn chair, it's like, oh, he's like, I hope this is okay. I'm like, no, no, no. Teach your kid how to drive safe. I, like we all benefit from it. And, and, uh, and, and so now he sends them out two by two. And he lets them see the multiplication of the bread. He's, he's giving them more clarity and insight to who he is. 
And now he walks to them on the water while they're all alone. And hopefully by the end of the day, you see that the light bulb sort of goes on in their minds. From this story, we're going to move eventually uh, to the transfiguration where three of the apostles are going to see Jesus transfigured in all his glory in this uh, miraculous way. And, And so here they are. They're panicking. They're straining. I, I, I know I've told the story a bunch of times, but I can't read this story and think of my Hell Week experience. Um, so in SEAL training, when you go through Hell Week, you're allowed four hours of sleep from Sunday to Friday. And the last thing you do is called Around the World. And so what you do on Around the World is you start basically in Imperial Beach, like kind of like down on the Silver Strand on the bay side. And at sunset, they put you in the water and you have like waypoints along the way, but you go around the world, which is you paddle the six of you in your little belt with your paddles with four hours sleep over a week, which is never a good idea. And you paddle all the way around Coronado Island. I've never done the math on it. I should probably look it up, but it's, it was a horrible night. And, and so you paddle all night around until you come out on the other side of the silver strand on the ocean side, and then you paddle ashore. And, and so on that night, for us, there were my, my six of us boat crew, and emotions are a little bit raw at this point, and you're a little bit short with people. And so we were making our way around the bayside. I remember you could see the beautiful skyline of San Diego. I just remember those five hotels. Uh, maybe there's three, but they have the little green rings around the top of the building. And around this time, my buddy Tom starts looking at us. He's like, guys, Oh, no, no, what he started doing, he started waving. And we're like, oh, no, we lost Tom. Like, he's, like, lost it. Like, we're... And then he, um, he, he starts saying, guys, you need, a, you need to wave to a lady. And we're like, Tom, there's no lady there. Like, there's, like, anybody see a lady? No. He's like, it's just dark out. You guys aren't seeing her. She's right there. And we're like, we've lost him. Like, just keep paddling then he's getting more and more irate. He's like, listen, this is her land, and she's Indian. And so we didn't use Native American back then, but, he's, but, but she's like, this is a Native American lady, and she's waving at us, and if we're going to cross into her territory, you guys better wave or we're in trouble. And he's like getting like super irate. And we're like, do we need to report this to the instructors or we just keep paddling? And, and so we we realized that the best thing for us to do was to stop in the water, all of us to stand up. <laughs> and so our whole boat crew is in the middle of San Diego Bay at like three in the morning, waving to this lady. He's like, thank you. He's like, you jerks. Was that so hard? Like, Let's get back and finish the evolution. You know, and it's like, oh, all right. You know, so I, I can't help but to see this, that, remember that story as I, as I read this because the, the wind's coming up. They've been paddling all night. It's now three or four in the morning. It's cold. It's like you're cold. You're miserable. You're delirious. You're, these are, these are for the most part, these are experienced watermen. And, and it doesn't say that one of them had a hallucination, which is totally possible. It says all of them saw this, this person. The, uh, it's like the word is phantom. Not, not quite a ghost, but, but, but it's where we get the word phantom from. And they're absolutely horrified. 
And so Charles Swindoll on this point, he, bring, he brings up in the Old Testament, and there's some allusions to the Old Testament. What he's referring to is kind of like the story of, um, you know, Abraham, when the Abrahamic covenant is made, and he's, God makes this great promise to him, and he doesn't know what's going to happen, and God says, okay, lay out all the animals and slice them in half and, and let the blood drip down to the center. And this was how they made their covenant with one another. Like, like if we wanted to have a covenant between each other, they didn't sign a piece of paper. What they did is they slaughtered a couple animals, had the blood flow through, and then they walked back and forth through the blood. And it was kind of saying, if I don't, obli- if I don't fulfill my side of it, then may this blood be me. And if you don't do it, the same to you. And so God's making this promise and he's setting up this big covenant and Abraham knows there's no way that I can fulfill this covenant. And so God puts him to sleep and God walks through. And so it's like this picture of him walking through and there's a couple other things where God begins to show his presence to the people for the sake of assurance. And what, he, what Swindoll says is he intended to pass by them in the manner of God in the Old Testament who sometimes allowed his people a glimpse of his presence as a means of assuring them. What Jesus intended as reassurance, the disciples perceived in terror. And so it didn't necessarily have the reaction. And, and we'll see as we get to it, they, they didn't understand. Like the whole feeding of the 5,000, they were still learning who Jesus was. They'd, they'd encountered him, they'd been around him. But in verse 52, we see that they still hadn't gained any insight. And so they're freaking out. And we're told that as he approached outside of the boat still, he comforts them with the words, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Literally, the Greek text reads, be courageous. I am, do not, don't fear. So it's six words. And it's extremely powerful, especially when you look at the phrase, I am. Moses in the burning bush, remember? Who am I going to say that sent me? I am sent you. John 8, 58, Jesus says, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And so Jesus is showing them his deity. And this is one of those stories in the Bible that is so often, the, the way it's presented, and I don't want to say it's not true, but we're, we're flipping it upside down for how it's, to be perceived because so often we read the scriptures from the vantage point of like, where do I fit in the story? What does this mean to me? Uh, and, and so we look at this and often the message is like, okay, you have storms. Jesus will get into your boat and calm your storms. Yeah, that's true. But it's all about you. And this story is all about Jesus and who he is. And we'll see as we press through that Jesus is trying to show them his divinity and that he controls everything. And they've already had and experienced all sorts of miracles, and yet they kept missing it. And and I don't say that to bash them. I say that to encourage myself because isn't it hard for us sometimes to, God will do something in your life and you'll be so like moved and encouraged by it. Only then two weeks later, you find yourself in another dilemma to only be like, oh, great, what am I going to do? God, do you even care about me? And, and I, we're terrible. I am terrible. Maybe not you, but I am. And, and, and so this whole story is about Jesus. But when we read the story, when I figure out what verse we're in, 
51, I believe. So going from verse 50, it says, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he got in the boat with them. And the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. Um, for those of you Bible scholars, you'll say, aren't we missing a part? And we are missing a part. This is, this is the story where Peter, we all love him, or I, I, love, I love him and his putting his foot in his mouth and doing things. And this is one of those stories left out. Because while Jesus is talking to them and while Jesus is approaching them, this is a story where Peter sees the image of the man who they think is a ghost, and he says, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to get out of the boat and come to you. And we are told that he went and he began to go, and he then sees the wind and the waves, and great fear gripped him, and he began to sink, and he reaches out and he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith. Now, I, I think it's not in Mark because... I've said it a couple times, Mark was not an eyewitness. Mark, Mark, Mark is getting his information, he's a disciple of Peter, and it's believed that Peter is giving Mark the information for him to document. And I think by the time this was written, Peter's kind of a changed man, and it's like it's not about Peter. And I don't know that Peter was necessarily proud of this moment. This is all speculation. I think Peter wants us to keep our eyes on Jesus, but, but the whole thinking about Peter, there's so much speculation about like, what was Peter thinking? I don't think Peter thought he was going to walk on water necessarily. I think Peter, as a fisherman, was in this boat that was suffering. He sees it's Jesus, and he's making this bold proclamation. Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you. Because even in the safety of this boat, I believe that it's safer to be in your presence than in this boat. And I think there's a huge lesson for all of that. We, we live in a time and age where we're all so concerned about our personal safety that it limits what we're willing to go and to do. Um, whenever missionaries come through, we end up praying for their safety. I... Um, I'll never forget a friend of ours, Krista Ullman, who was a mission. She was a single female that was a, a missionary in the Middle East. And, and it was a girl that Anna and I supported um, as, as we were newly married and that we committed to, to praying for her every day. And often when she came through, what people would always say, you're a young girl going to the Middle East. So they would naturally pray for her safety which I'm not saying that there's anything wrong about praying for her safety, but she sort of reprimanded us one time and she said, I don't want you guys to pray for my safety. Now, I want to be safe. She's like, but I want you guys to be praying is that I would be doing God's will, that I would be faithful to him, that I would, that I would uh, not let my fears hold me back. And it was super challenging like, to, to hear her say this. And I think that Peter could have clung to the safety of the boat, and I think he recognized, and, and we'll get there, but I think that this, this incident in the boat was a tipping, a tipping point for the apostles in recognizing who Jesus was. But Mark doesn't document it, so we'll go back to verse 51. So we're told that he got into the boat with them. We know that it's, Peter was with him also and got into the boat. Peter was a little wetter that time. And, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. I, I, I think they had their sort of the aha moment of recognizing this, 
this Jesus who we know and love, we've seen the miracles, I, who anticipated that the Messiah would become flesh? And now verse 52 is this parenthetical statement. So Mark is giving insight. This isn't like, so the, the story goes, Jesus walks out to them. He gets into the boat. They are, they're in absolute awe. The, the storm was raging. Now the, stor- now, the, now the storm was calm. Now they are in absolute awe of who Jesus is. Um, we're, we're told in verse 52 sort of like the, this is what was going on. You know, when the feeding of the 5,000 happened, they, they, didn't gain, they didn't gain insight from that incident. Like, it was an incident to them. Like, oh yeah, the one time when we had the little Lunchable and Jesus fed 25,000 people with it, we didn't really get it then. Didn't have our V8 that morning. We, <laughs> we like, we missed it. And it says that their heart was hardened. Now, this is a Greek idiom. It's not necessarily like, like to me, if somebody has a calloused heart, we think of a mean, cruel person. Th- th- this Greek idiom re- really carries a connotation of like thick-skulled, uh, uh, thick-headed, that all of the facts were before them and it just, the light bulb didn't go on. A- and I see them kind of laughing, them, like, going, oh, aha. Like the disciples constantly are sort of exposing their weakness, even after the resurrection that they didn't understand, but now they did. But at the moment, like, it's easy for you guys to judge us. But, but when was the last time God in flesh appeared to you? Like that you had to sort of put all these pieces together. I say, we didn't get it. Like uh, we know it seems weird. But we were astonished this time when he came and get it, got in the boat now, John's account is that at that moment when the storm calmed, that immediately they were at the shore, which seems to be another miracle in this whole incident. The weather stops, they're in the middle of the lake, and now they're at the shoreline of Gethsemane, and these guys are just like, what in the world is going on? And then we come to verse 53. I'll, I'll sort of... This is kind of like a summary statement of the things that were going on. I want to move through it uh, to kind of tie up this story. And so in verse 53, we read, When they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. So Gennesaret is this, it's this region where that red bar is, the land of Gennesaret. We, we don't necessarily um, have a town or anything like that. And moored on the shore... When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about the whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. Now the fringe of his cloak, if you think of a Jewish boy that has like the, the, like the shawl, or I don't know if that's the right word, you know, like a thingamajigger, a handkerchief, not a handkerchief, scarf. Scarf is the word, like a scarf looking thing. And, and there's little tassels on the bottom. So, so this is the idea for a rabbi that had these tassels that sort of recognized his prayer life. It was uh, 
I don't know, kind of like what I think of as like a rosary, like, a, like an order to help them to remember to pray something. And so uh, the more important the rabbi, the longer his tassels, but that's a whole other incident. And they're like, hey, we just touch your tassels. And as they were touching them, they were being cured. It reminds me of the woman who had the bleeding for 12 years earlier that snuck up and touched his cloth, that, that sort of image. So, so, so this is the sort of the, the groundswell of support. I believe that this is the peak of Jesus' popularity. Um, they thought the Messiah that they had interpreted, the one that would reign and rule and provide for them, that would have an iron fist, that would deal with Rome, they, they were so excited. Um, a year from now, these people would turn on him. Or probably from this point to a, to a year, the turning was happening to where they finally crucified him. And so to close with, I've already asked you to go to Matthew chapter 14 and John chapter 6, but first I wanna, I wanna, I'd like to tie this story together through these two other accounts. And so over in Matthew, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so Matthew, I'm probably the only one that didn't go over there, but I know there's probably others. So in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 32, um, so we, we, we pick up, at, we're in the middle of the boat, we're in the boat, Jesus is standing outside of the boat with Peter. And in verse 32, when they got in the boat, the wind stopped and those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. And so the storm stopped, but most importantly, their hearts stopped. And they stood before Jesus and they recognized this is the son of God. This is God. This is the Messiah. And, and they recognized that they were before deity and the natural response before deity is to fall on your face and worship. They were astonished, Mark says. It's the, the, the light bulb came on and they encountered the living Christ. And so, so my, my prayer for us, all of us, is that we truly would encounter Jesus in this way, understanding that he's the, the living Christ the, the people in the story that are coming to him and wanting him to provide for them, they missed him totally. And so often there are those within the Christian umbrella, I don't think they're necessarily Christian, but contextually in our culture, they're viewed as Christian. They have redefined who Jesus is, redefined what his mission was, redefined what his words were in order to, to fit their own storyline. And we need to be cautious not to do that. And I believe the way that we do that is we allow the word to be the word and we go through books of the Bible and the parts that we don't like or we're uncomfortable with, it's so what? It's like the scripture is the scripture. And so these 12 men in this boat were in awe. Now, if you go to John, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, so we go to John chapter 6. We're going to go to verse 60, but I, I need to give a little bit of uh, John gives a very uh, full account of this story. And, and I would encourage you on your own time 
to, to read through John chapter 6. Don't, don't take my word for it. Uh, I'm only glossing over it just for the sake of time. But I believe the first, my memory serves me correct, the first 15 verses deal with the feeding of the 5,000. Then we go into verses 16 through, now you'll look at our cross-references. Yeah, so 16 through 21. 16 through 21 is today's story. They're going across the lake. Um, Then in about verse 22 through verses 59, we'll call it, they move, the story kind of moves from the land of Gennesaret up towards Capernaum. And, and Jesus begins teaching. You know, Mark records all of these crowds are coming to him and all of the things are happening. And so in Mark chapter 22 through verses 59, there's this sermon of Jesus that's known of the bread of life sermon. And so he uses this whole account of the multiplying of the bread. There's, like we said last week, there's so, so many similarities back to Moses and the people of Israel grumbling against Moses. And then God miraculously uh, providing manna for them on their daily bread. And there's this, there, there's, there's this that Jesus is this new Moses. And he's doing something. And the, the people are missing it. They want, the, they want the gift, not the giver. They want the blessing, not the one who's providing the blessing. They want him for their own reasons. And so in this whole sermon, Jesus is confronting the people saying, you just want the bread, but what you need is me. I'm the bread of life. And if you come to me, you'll never be, you'll never, oh, he says water, that's a different one. You'll never be hungry again. And he says things that are really, really difficult to them. And then we pick up the story from here. He'd finished his his sermon. And then in verse 60, that's where I'm jumping in. And we read, therefore, many of his disciples. Now, disciples is not the 12. This is the, the greater number of disciples. There were many people who were following Jesus. There were great crowds that considered themselves disciples. So when you read the New Testament, you have to be careful. But just when you see the word disciples, it doesn't mean the 12 always. So this is the great crowd of disciples who identified with Jesus, who are following him for the wrong reasons. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, that sermon which I just referenced, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus' conscience, conscience that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending where he was before into heaven? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew that from the beginning who they were who did not believe and it was that would betray and who it was that would betray him and he was saying for this reason i have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the father as a result of this many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore so this is like the exact opposite all of the studies in church you know it's all about truth growth how do you how do you get a big church 
How do we get the mega church? And how do we have all the big crowds? And, and the answer to that is often we need to soften the message. We need to make things more cool, turn Sunday school into like uh, Chuck E. Cheese and, and we'll attract all of these people and do these great things at the expense of what the word of God says. And Jesus in his ministry does the exact thing. He's basically calling people, pick up your cross and follow after me. It's not an easy road, but there's life. And we're told that all sorts of people went away and left. And so he confronts them. They all walk away. And there's the 12 that remain. And it's one of the most beautiful pictures in the Gospels. I I, I love this. This is, for all of the things we can make fun of Peter, Peter like sticks his landing on this one. It gives me goosebumps. So verse 66, as a result, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away also, do you? Like, everybody left. Don't you guys want to go? Why don't you leave with them? For me, I see the, the Navy SEAL instructor, you know, trying to get people to quit and to go away, and he's pressing on them. Like, can I get you guys to quit too? Quit now. Beat the rush. Go. Like, go. Go with them. And Simon Peter answered him, like, and I imagine him with like tears in his eyes. Remember, this, remember, this is the morning after the boat incident. This is the day after the feeding of the 5,000. This all is in that context. This is Peter walking on the water to Jesus and then sinking in and then getting in the boat and all of them falling down before him and worshiping him. And Peter looks at him and says, like, Lord, to whom shall we go? Like, where can we go? There's nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's powerful. He gets it. Now Jesus is going to call out Judas But here we have Peter before Jesus. The the story, the message of of these stories, the feeding of the 5,000, the the message of of Jesus getting into the boat, it's not about you and your, it's about Jesus and who he is. That he's the Messiah. That he's God. He's the one, according to Colossians 2, who spoke the world into existence. He's the one that before him every knee will bow. It's not about him submitting himself to our agenda. It's about us submitting ourselves to his agenda because he died on the cross for us. He surrendered all so that we might have life with him. And Peter got it. Peter's still going to make mistakes, so there's, a, there's encouragement because we all stumble, and Peter's still going to deny him three times. These guys, only Jesus is perfect in the Bible. The disciples don't make themselves out to be any better than they are. They paint a true picture of who they are. And so my prayer is that we would encounter Christ. Maybe you've never given your life to him. Maybe you've never believed. Maybe you've never made the decision, yes, Jesus is Lord. I want to follow him. Today's the day. For those of us who have come to the place where we recognize that Jesus is Lord, it's easy for us to wander and to go about our own agenda and it's time for us to get a little correction and say, no, God, you're Lord. Jesus is God. He died for me. This life is going faster than I recognize and, and the only thing that matters is what I do for Christ.
And so, Father, we bow down and we, you know, this is what we need to pray. We need to humble ourselves before him. The other boat is, Lord, do you even care for us? Yes, of course God cares for you. Jesus died for you. He's sent his spirit that is convicting you, leading you, guiding you in this life. He's a merciful God that is, that is not giving up on you. If you are alive and you have breath in your lungs, it's not too late to get right with God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you are a merciful God. We thank you that you are relentless in your pursuit of us. Father, we live in a day and age of, of skepticism and, and, we're, and where Jesus is challenged day in and day out. And I thank you, God, that the evidence is there supporting Jesus and who he was and is. Uh, I think of Lee Strobel and the case for Christ and, and these men like him who have actually sought uh, legally and uh, scientifically evidence supporting the claims of Scripture and having gone to Israel and seen the geography and the land, as they do archaeology, everything, it only affirms the story of the Bible. But at the end of the day, our relationship with you is about faith. We, that's the only way that we can bridge this gap. And we, we thank you for that. We praise you for that, that it's not about works. It's not about having the good outweigh the bad. We thank you that it's being confronted by the work of the cross. We thank you that it's about Jesus and his being God and him being a perfect offering for us. We thank you that the gift is simply that it's a gift that we believe. And Father, we pray that as we confess Jesus as Lord, as we seek to honor him, that you would help us to understand your calling in our life, that we would know uh, what purpose you have called us to, that we would uh, fulfill uh, the works that you have prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Lord, we are grateful um, for this life that you've given. We're grateful that life doesn't end here at death, but that we have eternity with you in glory for those who have believed in Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would encourage us in our walk with you. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.